live from sunny Palm Springs, California, you're listening to Chomp. Hello, good people, and welcome to Chomp. I'm Everett Cook, the food and spirits reporter with the Desert Sun. We've got our first ever two guest podcast coming up, but first, I just want to thank our sponsor for this episode, the AIDS Assistance Program. AAP needs your help to expand its mission of providing nutritional support to low-income people living with HIV and AIDS. Beginning in January, the program will be offered to those with other chronic illnesses. Visit AIDSAssistance.org. If you live in the Coachella Valley, you don't need me to tell you that it's hot outside right now. The heat affects every business in the desert, including restaurants. But how does it affect resorts, who aren't relying on the same local crowd as much as a freestanding restaurant would? Today's episode features two resort chefs, Brandon Testy of the Omni Rancho Las Palmas Resort and Spa in Rancho Mirage. People who come to resort, I think they definitely have a different feel or an expectation um, as far as what they're looking for. I mean, they're coming to a resort for a reason. And James Wallace of the Hyatt in downtown Palm Springs. Cooking became a hobby just because it was a better way to meet women. And I mean, it's my wife doesn't like me telling the story, but it's true, you know. And Testy is relatively new to the resort scene, while Wallace has spent most of his career cooking in hotels around the world. Today, we'll talk about the advantages and disadvantages of being a resort chef, how the summers differ from peak season, and the decline of the American Planet hotels. I'm Ever Cook, and you're listening to Chomp. So you've been you've been at the resort you've been a resort chef for two and a half years though you said three yeah. years. Mm-hmm. So what are the uh, what are the kind of big advantages to being a resort chef? Because I do think that it's different than working at a standalone restaurant. I think you have a very different kind of audience. You have different goals. I think there's definitely a different. This is a different animal. I mean, because there's so many different outlets that Bloomer deals with. I mean, the only thing we don't really do is banquets, banquets and catering. So. You know, on any given day, like today, we'll probably do a thousand people in Bloomberg. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, room service, our bar, lounge. Um, I mean, anybody that walks in the door potentially is coming through this restaurant at some point, and that's our goal. You know, most guests are here for two to three days, so they have nine meal periods. We try to get them for nine. It doesn't always happen because we have our biggest challenge is we're right across the street from the river. Mm. So you have Yard House, Cheesecake, Babes, the sushi spot over there, Starbucks. I mean, so we constantly need to be elevating and being creative to figure out new ways and advantages to us to keep them on property. Because you don't want them going anywhere. You want them eating this. Exactly. Yeah, if you're, if you're paying to stay here, we want you to stay here. And it's our goal to figure out how to make that happen more than the three or four or five times that they're here. We want you online meal periods. And part of the, part of the thing you're talking about too is I, I think that maybe 20 or 30 years ago, um, the resort restaurants were seen as very cut above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And now you kind of have, like, you, like we talked about you know, a while ago, is the whole valley is kind of pushing their restaurants. That they're, I mean, I, I don't think you can say anymore that the resorts are the only good place to get food. And I think that was, you could have said that maybe 20 years ago. Right. Um, so you're kind of having to fight against all these standalones now. Right, yeah, and there's there's quite a few of them out here actually, and I'm I'm good friends with a lot of the chefs, so it's we're definitely bouncing back and forth ideas. I mean, yeah, it sounds weird that we're friends as, as we're battling. You know, I'm trying to steal guests from them; they're trying to steal guests from me. 
Um, but yeah, the standalone restaurant has, has come head over heels on as far as pushing the envelope as well. So when guests do leave the property, it's unfortunate because now they're going to these other great restaurants and they're like, oh, bummer, we should have gone here, sort of thing. And you hear that and you're like, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot, there's, there's a lot more variety out there than I think there was 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, and that says a lot to the desert. You know, we talked about the evolution of it, but I think you definitely need that for the variety. You need that to keep the buzz going in the desert year round. Um, so how does business change in the summer, if at all? Um, well, the big, the big change is, is we definitely have a huge uh, child um, or kids come in because of our water park. So we definitely see a change in demographic um, compared to our in-season um, you know, clients that come in. And, um, so definitely a lot more kids' food. <laughs> that's, that's definitely the biggest change. Okay. Uh, we don't really do any major menu changes. We just try to adapt a little bit knowing that we're going to have a kid's buffet every day that really helps even out the playing field for us. Okay. So do you, are you changing the, uh, the dinner menus at all, or is it sort of just making sure you have more options for kids? Um, definitely more options for kids. Um, we leave our menus the same because we still have that high-paying guest that wants to have that resort luxury right. high-end feel. Um, so to change the menu just because we have kids wouldn't really be fair to them. But we definitely try to, you know, play up our menus more towards the kids. You know, we have a lot of chicken fingers, French fries, kids burgers, yeah. uh, quesadillas. Mac I mean, and mac and cheese. Yeah. Every everything that a kid would want at Chuck E. Cheese, we we pretty much <laughs> rock out here. Okay. So how uh, how what percentage of those sort of high end resort guests? How much does that dip in the summer? Qu quite a bit, actually. Um, I would say it's under ten percent usually um, because we're a hundred percent leisure, but 95 to 90 percent of the rooms have two to three kids in them now wow so yeah we're looking at six to seven hundred kids every day that's wild <laughs> it is that's what i'm saying it's, it literally turns into a chuck e cheese that's wild. yeah it's it's a lot if it's 10 percent in the off season then what is it sort of in the high season for those resort type of guests it'd be about 100 percent. oh wow yeah okay. i mean we like i said when it when the water park isn't in full fledge i mean the spa hits on all cylinders our banquet season hits obviously blue ember does really well um, and then, you know, golf, of course, I mean, our golf rates are, you know, along with everybody else's. So, I mean, that's what, that's the reason why people come here is they want that, that high end feel. But you go from a hundred percent to 10% in the summer. More or less. I mean, wow. I, those average, those, those are just averages. I You're mean, right. on any given day, it could, it could be bumped up to 20 or 30%, but in, in the middle of summer, I mean, who really wants to be in 110 degree weather? So that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about right. <laughs> That's why we're inside the AC right now. Is the summer a time for you to maybe experiment a little bit? And, you know, I, I imagine you're so busy in the peak season that you can't really, you know, you don't have as much time to sort of play around with the menu. Maybe you do, but it seems like, you know, kids' food isn't as hard to make. So maybe you have a little bit more time to kind of throw stuff up, see what works, see what doesn't work, see what sticks. Exactly. Um, basically, what I, my goal is, is I try to stay a season ahead. So as we're in summer, and like you're saying, yes, kids' food is a lot easier to prepare. I try to already work on the winter or fall menu, if you will. Um, summer being essentially done, we just got to put it in place. You know, so once, once spring break's done, usually about the end of April, early May, we'll roll out our summer menu. And then as of like starting today, I kind of start messing with fall because I already know what ingredients are going to be in season. I already know what my purveyors. I mean, this is nothing changes too much, just 
putting out different stuff. So yeah, the creativity part starts now. Okay. Okay. So do you feel any, uh, I guess, pressure to make that winter menu kind of pop as much as it needs to? Of Just course. because. Of course. I mean, because that's, that's the beginning of the season again. So you definitely want to start out strong and build your winter menu with all your eggs in one basket and then build from that moving into, you know, late winter, early spring, where we're essentially kind of at now. We're on the tail end of, of spring, even though it feels like summer already. But um, yeah, definitely winter's got to hit with a big pop. So that's, that's nice because kids' food's easy to prepare. Yeah, there's a lot of kids, but there's Believe it or not, there's also the more there's more time to be able to be creative and do that research and development right now that winter when you needs for sure. Right. But I mean the other thing too is that kids aren't here by themselves, right? Their parents are here too. So it's not like you can really take the summer off completely. No. And and that's why it's this is I don't want to say it's a great time of year because it's, it's extremely hectic, but the menu that's in place now, we've had a few months to really hone right. in on it and perfect it. So yeah, the kids being a big curveball to us because that's normally not our clientele. But yet, when the parents do come in, we're still putting out an extremely you know nice menu that they can come in and go, oh look, there's chicken, there's sea bass, there's steak, there's pastas, there's salads. So there's a great variety, and so they don't feel like they're eating kids' food too because right. you can only have so many chicken tenders before you're like, um, what's next? You know. So we still really we're still presenting our our um, regular dinner menu, regular lunch and breakfast, where the the older clientele being the parents or the grandparents whatever still feel that they can eat well so let's uh let's talk about you a little bit you're from around here right um i'm originally from orange county okay um i've been out in the desert for the last few years so i'm well aware of what's going on okay so how how last few years um i've been here almost three years okay um before here i spent a little time up in idlewild but i i did a lot of time out in indian wells at the iw club before it turned into view so how have you seen the food scene change in the last three years um well i definitely think that as far as you know, I'm aware of the the chef scene out here is getting a lot younger. I mean, yeah. you still have a lot of the the tenured chefs that are out here and and are really pushing the envelope. But then you have the the next generation of younger chefs, including myself and a few others, that are really also trying to make a name for themselves. So in order to do that, you really got to branch out and think outside the box without reinventing the wheel. And because of that, you're seeing the restaurants really elevate and people's expectations rise and you have to meet those demands and um i mean it's right now the food scene is is a, is a good place to be yeah and i can't complain i can't complain either <laughs> when did you when did you first kind of know that this is what you wanted to do i mean when did you were you just in the kitchen a lot as a kid or what was kind of the big moment um i definitely was in the kitchen a lot as a kid i was really curious and i think that's kind of what sparked my my want to to become a a chef or a culinarian um i definitely was helping mom roll out the cookie dough on the counter i mean that's that's the one picture i have in my house that i constantly look at pretty regularly i mean i'm just a two and a half three-year-old kid sitting on the counter with a rolling pin just a ball of cookie dough on the counter and i'm in my ninja turtles t-shirt you know i mean <laughs> weird how ninja turtles come back 25 years later or whatever but um yeah it, it my my interest really did spark with the curiosity of why do things have to be done certain ways? You know, what makes a meatball a meatball? And does it only have to be ground beef or can it be pork or veal or lamb or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mom finally got to the point where she's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And she's like, you should probably go to culinary school. You know, at like five years old, you know, and trying to, you know, make the best cookie I can. And, you know, then it elevated to in high school, having a bunch of pool parties at my house and 
hey, is Brandon cooking? Um, well, yeah, he'll, I'll, I'll get out of the barbecue a little bit. And then it just elevated to, you know, bigger and better things, trying to do some dinners at home and family members coming over and having these big elaborate dinners. And, and then right after high school, I mean, I didn't even have a high school summer. Okay. And I was in culinary school. I graduated in June. Culinary school started in August. So I was literally just boom, 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 ready to rock and roll. And I, I mean, I wouldn't change it. I mean, I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world. I mean, I could put people's, you know, emotion. I can put my emotions on a plate, bring a smile to somebody else's face by just feeding them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it sounds pretty simple, but, you yeah, know. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's what brings me to work every day is knowing that I'm doing something. People are paying me to cook them food and they're leaving happier than they came in. Yeah. So that's, that's something I, I enjoy a lot. That was Brandon Testy of The Omni, and now we are going to hear from Chef James Wallace of The Hyatt in downtown Palm Springs. Well, I started at an entry-level position in the pantry in a, a new restaurant in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, like you said, you know, I, I was a little more mature and, and kind of had a better vision of what I wanted. So I, I just put my nose down, head down, and, and uh, really applied myself because I needed to get further in a shorter period of time. And then shortly after that, uh, a a chef from Rock Resorts in uh, the Caribbean called me and I was hired over the phone to go to work for Rock Resorts at uh, Carambola Beach Resort in the Caribbean. And a good bit of my, yeah. What was that phone call like? (laughs) It was interesting. Uh, My my best friend is a a fairly renowned artist and he was down there and he uh, convinced me I should I should move down there and and the biggest game in town was the rock resort, Carambola. So I shot them a, a resume and they called me up, hired me on the phone and flew me down there and I went to work. And um, it, was a, it was a great experience. I, there was um, maybe 10 of us that were continental and uh, all the rest were culinary school graduates from CIA and uh, Hyde Park, New York. But uh, it was a great experience. And there's a thread of rock resorts that, that kind of travels through my, uh, my career. I worked for them again in Hawaii at uh, Mauna Kea Beach Hotel and opening the Manelli Bay Hotel. And then sometime later uh, at Grand Teton Lodge Company, which was oh one, of their, one of their flagships at the time. And then later they, uh, they called me and, and sent me and another chef and two pastry chefs to Los Cabos, Mexico oh my gosh. <laughs> to uh, bring uh, uh, Hotel Palmia back to its shine that it had in the 50s. It's it's kind of, it kind of gone downhill. Well, you know, and I lived in Hawaii three different times and, and the Caribbean and Mexico. And, and it, it may sound, you know, so so exotic, but... I mean, like when I was, people would come visit me in Hawaii for a week or two vacation. They'd go to the beach more in a, a week or two being there than I did in a year of living there. So, I you mean, were in the kitchen and you were having to, I mean, you were working. It right? was work, yeah. And uh, it, it, it's all relative, you know. Obviously, they're nice places to be. And 
and resort environments are great, uh, great stage to, to cook. And early in my career, I worked in those places because, like we said, I, I wanted to advance in the industry more quickly than uh, perhaps the others. And uh, it allowed me a chance to work at famous places with famous people. And later in my career, it's just they've come up and just for my wife and family and I to find a home. And, you know, we've settled here. We like it here. It's close to her family. And uh, it's just it's just good for me here. Is this sort of the track you thought you would be on? Well, it's one I, I decided on early on. I've uh, ventured outside it. You know, I worked at uh, the Santa Clara Convention Center because I'd never done that type of work before. Uh, my biggest buffet there was 4,400, and my biggest plated dinner was 2,600, wow. with 1,300 vegetarians. <laughs> it, it's a personal best. And from there, I went back to Tucson to the resort hotel, because uh, it's it's a type of uh, clientele and a type of of cooking that that I enjoy. You, it sometimes allows you to do things you can't do on a uh, in every setting. Just the type of uh, food you can produce, you know. Sometimes uh, a freestanding restaurant might have certain uh, limitations or, or certain directions that are different than what you can do in a resort setting. Like you say, the resort people come to take a taste a bit of the uh, the area, the, the local scene, you know. You go to Hawaii, you, you're thinking pineapple, you're thinking mahi-mahi, yeah. you're thinking... Oh, paka paka. Whereas, if you're working as a on a free in a freestanding restaurant, you wouldn't necessarily have those people at your disposal. At you know, in your restaurant, in your lounge. The number of upscale restaurants here, and you know, those are those are more like what used to just happen in resort hotels. You know, the uh, the 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 bars really come up, and that's why I used to w stay with resort hotels because it allowed me to do a uh, work with a finer product, and and I think that's broadened a bit over the last twenty years. But it's still it's still a, a venue I, I remain comfortable with. This kind of upscale sort of thing is used to sort of be kind of reserved for the resorts. In a lot of ways, absolutely. And you know, the restaurant world has changed dramatically in the in the last decade or two. But uh, you know, we still try and uh, get our share at the resort level, and like I've said before, main, re, remain relevant in the community. But do you feel like now that some of the other the restaurant scene has changed so much that people are sort of boosting their levels, boosting the, the quality of the product they're putting out, do you feel like now that the playing field is a little bit level, more level, you can experiment a little bit more? Well, I think you have to experiment a little bit more because of the food channel and uh, all the uh, all the things that are available on you know cable TV I mean now all of a sudden we have millions of chefs you know yeah. everybody's gonna critique how you how you sear your foie gras you know every you know we got an awful lot of uh, critical analysis that wasn't there 10 years ago 20 years ago I mean people are a lot more knowledgeable about what they uh, what they eat and and health has become you know 20 years ago there wasn't that much focus on healthy diet and uh, you know foie gras and butter and and uh, 
the things that are easy to make taste good uh, were, were uh, a lot easier to incorporate in menus. Now you need to balance uh, health and, and uh, you know, we have, now we have gluten-free. We have, we have so many different, you know, 20 years ago, the only people that were gluten-free were people with celiac disease. And now it's become popular because there's a different health aspect to it. So, you know, we have to, we have to balance a, a whole, there's a lot of juggling going on in menu design these days that uh, rather than just making things taste good. Right. You got to appeal to a lot wider audience. Yeah. You have to appeal to the audience and you also have to, I mean, <laughs> everything's also tastes good. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The, the worse something is for you, I, you know, I hate to put it like this, the easier it is to make taste good. Yeah, just a bit. Put some butter on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> butter, uh, foie gras, which, you know, is, is, is horrible, is from a health aspect and not too popular for the pita people either. But a ribeye steak that's just marbled and loaded with fat, you know, it's just not that good for you, but it's delicious. So, so now you have to make things that are more health conscious taste just as good you know and i think you you need to make the starch and the vegetable as interesting as the mm -hmm. the protein or the the center plate option that's on that you serve it's just uh you know it's a the restaurant world the the food world is is constantly changing and evolving and it's it's going in a healthier direction the example I, I always used to think about, you had your side salad or your appetizer salad, and those used to be, I mean, no one cared about those. They were not, they were not good, you know? They were, they were fine, but, you know, no one was... Chopped iceberg with some shaved carrot yeah. and a couple radishes. Yeah, that I mean, one. But no one, was, no one was putting their hat on that, and now it's, uh, you got to have a good salad. You have, to, you have to really, like, you have to do something different. You got to do nuts. You got you to put berries. You got to figure something else out. Yeah. And I think that's sort of an example of the whole restaurant scene in general, where you, you can't really be lazy anymore. You really have to, you have to be broad, you have to be good. No, you can't take the, the, the clientele for granted. They're, they're uh, the public's smarter about what they eat and, and more aware of flavor profiles and, and uh, balance. In the past, do you think that there was more of an inherent trust maybe with the resorts so people were were going to eat there no matter what between 20 and 30 years ago i think the american plan was a lot more prevalent in resort hotels where the the room rate came with breakfast lunch and dinner okay. and uh the american plan yeah like when i uh when i worked first worked for uh, rock resorts in the caribbean our rooms were Four seventy-five a night, and uh, they had it broke down where where breakfast was thirty dollars, lunch was forty, fifty dollars, and dinner was eighty dollars. So, you know, you'd get most of the the group for uh, breakfast, and you'd get you know thirty forty percent for lunch because they you know they wanted to go out and see the island. Mm -hmm. But for eighty bucks of their hotel stay, because they were aware of that. You know exactly how many you're doing for dinner because they're all coming at once too. So I mean, we just get hammered. I think our our house held a hundred and uh, three hundred and fifty people. We had two dining rooms, fed them off one cooking line, and we just got hammered every single night. Yeah, it was a it was a different uh, different 
restaurant landscape in the American plan. And when you're feeding that many people too, and you know, and you know that they're going to be there every night, you'd probably do a lot of things differently. Indeed, uh, in that particular place, we had a cycle menu. We had uh, uh, six nights a week. The menu changed completely. We had three appetizers, three soups, four or five entrees, and three desserts, which changed nightly. It's not just the way that other restaurants have sort of come up in the last 30, 40 years. It's also the way the resorts have changed that have made, not not put more pressure on you, but sort of made it so that resort chefs really have to, I mean, you've got to be, you got to be as good as anyone else. You know, you're not getting a guaranteed customer base anymore. Oh, absolutely not. There's, uh, like I said, there's just too many options. Yeah. And, and they're close, especially in this environment. I mean, uh, the... The greater Palm Springs area is just packed with with wonderful places to eat. They don't like your food, they're not going to come, you know. That's, well, there that's it is in a nutshell. That's why we change menus, and, and if something's not working, it, it's we'll try something else. But uh, we just recently changed all the menus, and we're getting good response right now, so we'll write it out. and. Uh, as the season changes, as the weather changes, so change the menus. Okay. So we'll, we'll go with it as, it as it comes. Chomp is a Desert Sun production. The production team includes myself, Ashley Hopkinson, and Sarah Dayon. Thanks again to our sponsor, AIDS Assistance Program, and to Caxton, the great local band who wrote our theme music. If you like Chomp, please subscribe or rate our show on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. It helps other people find our show. I'm Ever Cook, and thanks for listening. <laughs>